I think if you're going to do referrals, like one thing that I see is people are timid about it, you know, so they, they don't really go all out. If you're going to do a referral, number one, you've got to be great though. I think that we, I didn't say that yet. And maybe that's the under, you know, lying truth that people should know is that no one's, no one's going to want to partner with a rental company that does a bad job, that doesn't respond, respond to guests, doesn't handle turnovers properly, et cetera. So it's not a replacement, you know, even though it's kind of a hack, it's not a replacement for building, you know, that great company that does a great job on the guest side too. Welcome to Mastering Vacation Rental Marketing, a special behind-the-stays podcast series brought to you in collaboration with my friend, Conrad O'Connell, founder and CEO of Build Up Bookings, one of the most respected marketing agencies for vacation rental managers and hospitality entrepreneurs. Conrad just published an incredible book called Mastering Vacation Rental Marketing, which serves as a strategic guide designed for vacation rental managers, hosts, and STR professionals eager to scale their businesses without becoming overly reliant on OTAs like Airbnb, Verbo, or Booking.com. Over the next three weeks, you'll get a sneak peek into the frameworks, case studies, strategies, and data that Conrad shares in his book. If you'd like to purchase the book, you can do so via the Amazon link below. Or if you'd like a digital copy of the book, Conrad is offering a free digital version to all Behind the Stays listeners. You can also find the link to download this digital copy of the book in the show notes below. All right, folks, without further ado, get ready to learn from and be inspired by Conrad, one of the best marketers in the entire industry. All right, Conrad, we are back with the third and final episode of this special series that we're working on together with you and the team at Build Up Bookings on Mastering Vacation Rental Marketing. And as just a reminder for folks who might just be tuning into to this episode, this episode really is a a taste, I should say, of of a book that you've been spending a lot of time working on, Conrad, over the last, you know, year which probably, you know, aggregates all the last decade or, or so worth of, of uh, your marketing expertise and, and the lessons that you've learned along the way. I, uh, I'm i excited for this last episode here because we're going to talk a little bit of about some case studies and get a little bit more like practical. We spent the last two episodes talking about kind of theory, and I think we, we'll get into a little bit more practice today. But first and foremost, man, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, great. A, a trilogy. So we, we joked last time a sequel sometimes aren't as good as the first. So now we really have to live up to it with the third one. So I'm excited. Uh, I, th- I think we will. I think we will. And if you are just tuning into episode three, by the way, and you don't uh, and you want to go back and listen to the first two episodes, you don't need to. You could you could go back and listen to those later, but it, it might be helpful to kind of go listen to episodes one and two. So you understand the framing and the foundation that we're building today's conversation off of. You can find links to those episodes in the show notes below. But let's go ahead and, and dive right into it. So, Conrad, we've been talking about these these phases that you talk a lot about in the book uh, that really sort of just mirror the maturity of a vacation rental business. And you talk about these these different phases as you know when you're in the the lightweight phase, you're just kind of getting started. That I guess the featherweight stage is it's truly like stage one. But then as you as your business grows, as your as your revenue grows, as the properties under management grows, um, the the different marketing strategies and tactics that your business needs needs change, right? They they evolve. So I was hoping to kind of kickstart today's conversation by just hearing a little bit of, you know, your own client case studies or your, your own expertise on what, give us a couple examples of kind of really, really great stories of folks that have moved through these respective phases and how, as they get to each next level, the marketing strategies and tactics that they use change. 
Yeah, a few come to mind. I'll give a story of a client that we've been working with probably um, pretty much full-time. They did a little pause during COVID because their market got shut down. But other than that, we've been working with them pretty much full-time since 2018. I think when we first started working with them, they were about 10 units and they're up to 146, I think, as of you know September, as we as we um, sent their last monthly report in. So I've seen them go, I think, from maybe that lightweight stage all the way now to like the heavyweight stage, probably doing somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 10 million a year in total gross booking revenue. Um, and then of course their their takes, their commissions roughly 20% plus fees and things like that. They're able to cap in. So a great business, a healthy yeah. business, obviously, um, and a, not a huge market. It's This isn't a market with thousands of units. They're, they're probably the second largest property manager in the market, uh, but they started again as one of the smallest ones and they've been you know, going through the stage the whole time. So I think one one really unfair advantage that comes to mind that they had is they partnered with the brokerage that was the largest brokerage on the island for real estate sales. Huh. So they were able to basically get inventory with, you know, a high degree of efficiency and a high degree of um what's the word I'm looking for here? But it was straightforward for them to get inventory, right? Yeah. Like the, the broker would sell a property, that broker would then refer them over to, because the broker had an equity interest in, in this vacation rental business, um, would refer that person over and say, hey, company XYD, XYZ does a great job, you know, disclosure. They would be honest, of course, I, you know, I'm a part owner of the business, but we had been working with other rental managers in the island and they weren't very good. So we yeah. built our own and here's how we do it differently and that kind of stuff. And that pipeline of, you know, sales occurring anyways, and then pushing that directly into a, you know, rental division, I think was one of the best moves that I've seen, you know, over the past few years of working with different clients that they're trying to be that single market, you know, property manager that has a hundred of the best homes in this case on an, on an Island. Yeah. Um, so they've done a really good job there. And I think that I look at that model and I think if I were to ever do this, or if my you know sister was like, I want to get into this business, what would I do? I would say, go straight to a market where there's a large brokerage that is not partnered with a rental agency yeah. and then give him equity and ownership in that business. So he's, you know, where she is actually engage in that business and then figure out that pipeline because you're just going to get inventory on autopilot. It's really straightforward. So that, That's a really uh, incredible idea. And, you know, I, I want to take a step back too and just ask you a broader question around around partnerships, right? Strategic partnerships, alliances, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, giving up a, a little bit of equity in, in your business for the sake of the partnership or whether it's really just kind of like some, maybe there's, it's just a referral business, right? You partner with some brokerage or some other uh, firm and you just give them a, a cut of any lead that uh, that uh, winds up working with you right that they that they refer your way what do you think about referrals and partnerships kind of as a, as a more general marketing strategy are there are there other examples that come to mind of organizations that you work with and or even just that you know that have really figured out how to invest well in strategic partnerships and if so what are some examples yeah, I, I think that any sort of referral arrangement can work. You know, this idea of I will give you a fixed sum or I'll give you a fixed fee if you, you know, actually work with me on, you know, give, sending properties my way. I know there's markets where you can't do that because of like, there's like real estate ethics things that find that to be yeah. unfair or something like that. But for the most part, I think the idea of, hey, I'll give you, I've seen things as high as $1,000 per bedroom. So if you send me one bedroom, it's 1000 If you send me a 10 bedroom, you know, I'll give you a $10,000 check to send this property my way. Um, I think if you're going to do referrals, like one thing that I see is people are timid about it, you know, so they, yeah. they don't really go all out. If you're going to do a referral, number one, you've got to be great, though. I think that we I didn't say that yet. And maybe that's the under, you know, lying truth that people should know is that no one's no one's going to want to partner with a rental company that does a bad job, that doesn't yeah. respond, respond to guests, doesn't handle turnovers properly, et cetera. So it's not a replacement, you know, even though it's kind of a hack, it's not 
a replacement for building, you know, that great company that does a great job on the guest side too. But, you know, having the ability to like do a referral partnership or um, even just support that broker, that real estate, you know, transaction in some way, I'll give you a pro forma. I'll give you different estimates of this. I'll, uh, I was talking to someone yesterday and they were just saying that um, keeping in touch with that owner who's going through a renovation and sending them ideas. Hey, I saw this on Pinterest. This is actually a really clever idea. Mm. Well, someone did this in one of our properties. It might work well for your property as you're doing your kitchen, you know, sending, giving information that way. I think a lot of those can provide a lot of referral, you know, business your way. And a lot, some of those ideas are about monetary incentives, although monetary incentives do help, I think, quite a bit for that brokerage or that real estate agent, excuse me, who might be very money driven. You know, if you're going to, oh, if I send it this way and they do a good job anyways, and they're going to give me $5,000, why wouldn't I do that? Right. It just becomes this automatic thing that you do. So yeah, I'm bullish on those ideas. I think if you can do it again, there's some restrictions, geography or, you know, real estate board wise that people can't do that. But if you can, I think that's such a great way to build pipeline because it also just builds this momentum. Um, You're going to get word of mouth referrals from that current owner who says, yeah, you know, our real estate agent ends up ended up hooking us up with Conrad's company. He does a great job. Um, You should go list your property with him as well. They might meet another owner. This is very common in like HOA driven, you know, community uses that the owners might know each other and you end up getting referral business that way too, just by word of mouth. And there was no money that you needed to maybe exchange hands. So yeah, yeah, I'm really bullish on those ideas for sure. Yeah. And you know, another idea that comes to mind too, that's maybe even a little bit more simplistic, right? Is like finding those, you know, those interior designers or, or those decorators trying to build relationships with them. They have lots of clients that they work with, right? That might not even be in your purview. Uh, and, and in developing those, those strong relationships with, I would just call sort of like adjacent partners. So not even like another vacation rental management company, but other people that support the industry and finding ways to really, again, provide them value and whatnot. You never know when they're working on a project for, for a client and that client you know, they're not a manager themselves. They don't want to be a manager themselves. That client needs a manager, right? You you want to be top of mind there. And I do think finding the time and, you know, it's, it's always hard to find time for, for marketing, let alone like partnerships. But I, what I have found even just in my own businesses is that partnerships tend to be like the most fruitful way to, you know, the, the most fruitful marketing channel, even if you can even call it that, in that there is a high degree of trust, right? The, the people that do end up coming in through referrals you know the, the the chance that they'll close into some sort of some sort of customer is significantly higher than any other channel um and, and i think that these are relationships at the end of the day it's, it's about relationships and, and and finding you know people within your network that you can kind of tap into but i but i believe that like finding interior designers interior decorators even just like podcasters or influencers or other people kind of in the space that are not vacation rental managers themselves building rapport with them is one of the best ways to drive uh you know drive new referrals and housekeepers you know you didn't mention that but what a what a yeah. key part to most host operations or other managers right is the fact that the housekeeping team or housekeeping professional is inside that property all the time knows it pretty well and if you treat that housekeeping person the right way and you pay them on time and um you know you give them very realistic time expectations on their work and you pay them well for what they're doing such a critical part of the operation that some people you know who are new to the space or i feel like there was kind of this guru persona who would just oh just get a housekeeper it's like as if it's this very straightforward thing in some markets i can assure you finding good talent housekeepers to go and yeah. clean your properties in Vail or Aspen is incredibly challenging yeah. um, to do. So, you know, valuing that person and the relationship you have with them can get, absolutely lead you to other owners as well down the road because they go, yeah, I was cleaning for this owner. Unfortunately, his wife got sick. So, you know, he really doesn't have the time to manage the property. He was just going to take it off the market, mm. but maybe you should have a conversation with him because he maybe you could manage that listing for him um, and still he could still get some reno- revenue from that. You know, situations like that are very common. So, yeah, having that like, you know, relationship with the housekeeper, treating them much better than 
than their other you know clients may do. I think it's such a you know such a hack and doesn't actually cost that much more money than you might think. Yeah. And one referral is going to make you back all that money that you might have so-called overpaid to a housekeeping professional. So I'm yeah. really bullish on those people being a little bit more bought in and not treating them like I think a lot of people in the space do online, which I find kind of distasteful to be honest with you, which is just like, oh, just get any housekeeper and send them a schedule and let them do that. No, I think you need to treat them a lot better because they're really critical to the process for for yeah. Sure. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're your front line, right? Like the first mm -hmm. thing a guest is going to notice when they walk into a space is whether or not it's clean. So uh, you got to invest heavily in the front line. I, I wanted to pick your brain, Conrad, around uh, outsourcing versus keeping in-house. So as your business grows uh, and as you become just, quite frankly, busier, it's easier when you're smaller to maybe do everything yourself, right? We talked a, a couple episodes ago about, you know, folks starting on Instagram and building up a brand on Instagram. When you have a couple properties, it's, it's a lot easier to justify the time it takes to think about creating a reel, right? Or, or your, your, your story strategy or whatever it might be. As your business grows, you, you have to be way more choosy with, with where your time is, is allocated. From your perspective, as folks graduate from each phase of the business, when does it make sense to start outsourcing and what, what sorts of things should be outsourced? I think we briefly touched on this in, in the last episode as well, but like, talk to us just a little bit about from your perspective, having worked with many, many, many folks in the in the industry, what do you advise that you know people like you guys build up end up taking in and doing versus you know what when it comes to these sorts of things, we can do it for you, but it's really best if you can find a way to either do it yourself, allocate the time, outsource other things, and or bring somebody onto your team to handle this particular set of uh, to dos. So, what what is your perspective on this? I'll actually give a book recommendation. I read this book a while ago, uh, maybe three months ago now, called Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. Maybe you could pop a, a link in the show notes yeah. to that book. I don't know if you've read that one. I haven't, um, no. But I think... Yeah, it gives a very like clear path to trying to figure out what that what he calls replacement rate actually might be. So as your business grows, you can sort of calculate it. You know, you can say, here's how much time that I you know have available to me. Here's the tasks that I'm doing. Here's the revenue that I'm making or the profit maybe that I'm generating from these different activities or from my business in general. I can hire someone at $35 an hour to replace me. And that's actually profitable because it free, could then free up my time and I can then go do additional things that would make sense for me. Yeah. And that's actually similar to what my replacement rate is. It's like in that $35, $40 range where it makes sense. And he also gives you like, extra, you know, cushion, you know, so it's like you really should be hiring someone, you know, probably a little bit below that replacement rate and giving them certain tasks and things like that. But back to your core question, once you've read that book and maybe you start to thought about it, okay, what can I start to give away? Yeah. Um, I, the obvious things might be the things that take the most time, but sometimes the things you're spending the most time doing, you're good at. So mm. I would maybe caution someone against maybe doing that you know, maybe giving away the things that you don't like doing or drain you of energy is the right approach. So actually the call I had just before this um, was someone that we're talking to to potentially work with and he doesn't do email marketing. He like, oh, I, I struggle with it. I worry that I'm gonna spam people. Um, you know, he just like sounded mentally timid, you know, to yeah. be honest with you towards email marketing. So I'm just like, okay, well, that's certainly something that we do and we can help you with that. And, you know, here's general information about it, that sort of thing. But I guarantee you, hopefully he signs with us, you know, TBD, maybe by the time this releases, we'll know. Um, it seemed like a good conversation, but I was like, I, I think we're just going to crush it. Cause we're just going to be very consistent. Like, yeah. like we're like a, we're like a machine, like, you know, our whole operation from copywriting to design, to getting the email newsletter out, we're going to send an email every single month. As long as you approve it, we're going to send it every single month. Right. We don't miss. And our consistency is going to make your email results so much better. Yeah. Um, not because we have some magic secret sauce. I actually think a lot of what we do is not magic secret sauce at all, to be honest with you. 
it's just consistently yeah. doing the damn thing. Yeah. You know, sending that email out every single month and resending the, you know, follow up email to people that didn't open the first one, just simple things, but doing them consistently. Um, whereas this, this person that I was talking to was timid. And I was like, yeah, you sent one in the past four months, not because you're afraid or maybe you're lacking some kind of skill or anything like that. It's not that hard to send an email, let's yeah. be honest. Um, but he just didn't really feel comfortable doing it. So yeah. I think there's those sorts of things. Personally, I don't like like the whole accounting bookkeeping side of the business. So yeah. as soon as I could, I hired that out myself, yeah. you know, like, ah, I'll just handle this categorization of transactions for me. That's just like pulling teeth and I just didn't like doing it. And then I'd get behind and, you know, the CPA gets on you for that kind of stuff. So I think we all have things that drain us. And I think those are actually sometimes things to focus on right away. But the benefit of an agency, and I'm not talking my own book here, this is any agency that's good at what they do, I think is that you do get you get the right amount of different people. And that's often what I think a lot of vacation rental managers need. So yeah. we've talked to people over the years that have said, um, well, I'm growing, I'm at this you know, heavyweight stage, let's say, I can certainly afford to hire a marketer, pay him or her $70,000, $80,000 a year, give them additional budget and go from there. But it's really, really, really hard to find one person that can do seven different things well, yeah. You know, that yeah. can write content, that can do photography or videography, that can send the emails out, that can do design, light, 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 lightweight design work in Canva or Photoshop or something. So I think the benefit of an agent Agency, regardless of which one you work with at this stage is that you're hiring an agency maybe for 50k and you may say oh i'm only getting you know 20 30 hours a month versus i might be getting 100 hours full-time a month of work out of a full-time person and i'm paying the same cost why would yeah. i do that yeah. and the reason is that you're getting five hours of someone that's a specialist in that particular thing that you need five hours of yeah. which and it might be an email it might be ppc management it might be SEO, it might be web design or design work in general. And I think that's really the benefit of agencies that we can take this fractional time of a skilled person in that role and then share it across basically 10 or 12 different clients. And then the results are better for everybody because we're selling just the right you know, amount, the right dosage, if you will, of someone's time into these individual businesses. Yeah, I, th I think that that's a very like astute observation. And I think that you're spot on, right? Um, I, I, I also think when it comes to figuring out what to outsource, you touched on this briefly, Conrad, but if you love something, even if it takes a lot of your time, and if that thing brings you a lot of joy, like you don't have to outsource it, even though it like could be outsourced, right? Or like, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and you know, not too unlike the the gentleman you were chatting about with email marketing, and they were they were just admitting to me like how much time they spent on uh, their Instagram, you know, story creation uh, every day. They post like a story every day, and they were like ashamed to tell me because they're like, I know I could just like hire some you know Upwork person to and give them these templates and they could do it and blah blah. But I was like, no, but like you love it. Like that's what brings you joy, right? You you enjoy the interaction you get on uh, with your you know comments and DMs and like you love responding to that and like. That is okay. Like, if that's the aspect of your business that brings you joy, and you know your your business presumably isn't like you know falling to 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 crap or anything like that, or or burning within you know up within the inside or anything like that, then that's okay. Like, spend your time there, right? Um, and what I like to say to folks too is, you you need to have, and hopefully you you would agree with this, Conrad. You you also need to have some. You have to have enough understanding of the thing to be able to evaluate the work, right? And I think what's hard is sometimes we end up outsourcing things that we just don't, we we know nothing about, right? So we, whether it's SEO, whether it's email marketing, it's like, it's easy to be, to go find someone and say, I just don't know anything about this, like do this for me. And if you find the right person, great, like you might be able to be successful. But I think it's really worth spending a little bit of time even just to discern like what good questions you should ask when evaluating an email marketer or a social co you know, copywriter, whatever it might be. Because if you don't know enough about the thing it's just going to be really difficult to tell whether or not someone's doing the work or not if if somebody answers your questions well 
if you have really, really, really bad results, right? That that could not that could be that could have nothing to do with the email marketer that you hired. In fact, like the agency that you hired could be doing an exceptional job. It's just that you have a really bad list, or like your brand isn't resonating in the way that you think it is. Right? You believe something about your brand that's just not to be true. Right? Uh, It's much, much, much harder to assess kind of work when when you just have no semblance of an of a framework for for how to do so. So, are there? This is just a long way of asking you a pretty simple question, Conrad, which is that are there simple questions or, or good things folks should ask, whether it's an agency or a freelancer or even a potential hire for their business when it when it comes to marketing? And maybe you could just pick a, a couple of channels because marketing is obviously this incredibly like robust umbrella. Any good questions folks should ask when evaluating somebody before they sign away a significant chunk of their you know monthly revenue to this individual? Yeah, I think that's an Alex Hormozy thing, isn't it? Where if you spend 20 hours learning something, then you're already ahead of like 90% of people. <laughs> Most people delay forever and then never spend the 20 hours. If they just spent the 20 hours learning something, they would you know, be pretty good at it pretty quickly. So I do believe that general sentiment, which is that if you spend like, again, I don't like the whole bookkeeping, accounting, tax stuff myself, but I spent much more than 20 hours at this point studying it and trying to understand it, even though it does make me feel a little uncomfortable. I do feel like I can ask relatively intelligent questions about it. I feel like I've actually brought things to my account before. Hey, what about this? Could we do this? Like, is yeah. this okay? And stuff like that. Um, you know, and as a way to actually, you know, improve the outcome of it. So I, I am a big believer of that. I think before you hire, you probably should spend 10, 20 hours studying a topic and trying to understand it, at least at a basic level. Cause I feel like you can sniff out a BS or I don't know if we can curse on here, a BS yeah, yeah, or yeah, pretty yeah. quickly, quickly, right. With regards to someone who says I'm an expert in XYZ, of course, the latest trend being AI, I'm an AI expert. And then 20 hours of research or 10 hours of research might lead you to be like, okay, explain to me how a large language model works yeah. or something. <laughs> and uh, I don't claim to be an AI expert. So no, don't ask me that right now. Cause I don't know if I have a perfect answer for it. But I don't go around touting myself as an expert in that particular thing. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the that's the the truth is that you just got to do a few reps yourself. You know, yeah. you can't sit there and say, "Oh, I don't know anything about this. I'm going to outsource it." And to your point, just you know, let it go and just trust that this person is going to do a great job. You might get lucky, and like you said, find someone really honest, ethical, and hardworking that's going to help you out and do a great job. But more often than not, you're probably going to hire the wrong person, or like you said maybe just the wrong person for you at this time. Yeah. You hire the more senior person when really it's just the more basic thing that you need done or something like that. So the 20 hour, you know, rule of thumb investment, you know, to get some level of knowledge is probably a good starting point. But beyond that, I think, um, as you get, like, as I've got further along too, I've got better at hiring people, um, just cause I've got better at reading people and like yeah. kind, of, kind of understanding what they, if what they're saying is credible, if what they're saying is believable, if they can point to previous examples or past successes that they've had that have worked well, if they can be honest and be like, yeah, you know what? I'm not great at this. Um, and not one of those fake answers. It's like, I just work too hard, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm too good looking or something like not <laughs> nonsense like that. But someone who's like, yeah, that really just isn't my thing. I can't yeah. design a damn thing. Like yeah. sometimes people come to us and logo designs and I'm like, I'll be honest, I'm not touching your logo design. Yeah. Design is not my strong suit. I'm not good at it. But luckily, I have Jenlyn and Brian, and they're great designers. So yeah. here's what they've done, and I'll show off their work um, as a way to potentially close that deal. So those are some circling thoughts around what you're saying there. But it's it's hard. I mean, we're all going to make mistakes too, right? In growing a small business, we're going to hire the wrong people. We're going to bring on the wrong partner. We're going to make a mistake here and there. So part of it too, right, is the classic, you know, fire fast once you figure out that it's not the right fit. Yeah. Let go of that agency. Let go of that person. Um, if you do it in a very honest and ethical way, they might even take you back down the road as long as you're fair about you know letting go of someone a bit. If it's not working, then I think you're well within your rights as the vacation rental manager or owner to stop that relationship and try something else. Yeah. And you're probably going to meander a little bit before you find the exact path that's going to be the most successful. One of the one of the sort of like foundational elements to any good marketing strategy, any 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 good business really, right, is 
figuring out what is your unique value offer to your community? What is your unique value offer to to the space? What are your UVPs, right? When, when you look at the market right now, and if it's easier, feel free to pick uh, an actual like geo-specific market, or you could speak just more generally to your observations. Where, where do you see the biggest opportunity for for different differentiation, or where do you where do you see gaps of like, hey, you know what? When it comes to a vacation rental management business, when it comes to folks who are you know buying and, and building these uh, you know really cool collections of short term rentals, he, he, people are doing a great job at X, but I but I really see a lot of opportunity with with Y. A- any sort of like uh, any sort of opportunities that you would just want to like opine on from from your uh, from your you know vantage point, Conrad. I don't know if anyone has actually cracked the whole concierge concept properly yet. And Mm. it seems like a lot of people try that and they put in very sort of automated, you know, here, use this link, but it's just, you're just booking through Viator type systems. And I think that if someone actually does that well inside their organization, they have a really unique advantage, right? Mm. And uh, there's one company we work with, I don't know if they want me to say, so maybe I'll, I'll leave the name off, but if someone messages me, I'd be glad to share with them privately. And they actually have true real concierge. You know, they, when you book, you know, they call you up, hey, Zach, we're so excited to welcome you to this, you know, location. It's a ski market in Colorado. Um, we look forward to it. What are you doing while you're here? We're more than happy to help you. And it's not a, you know, nonsense upsell opportunity. It's, oh no, we're generally going to help you. Like yeah. uh, they've, they've done things like the helicopter drops you off or picks you up and then drops you off at the you know, top of this mountain and then brings you back to the rental at the end of the day, like crazy stuff like that, that they wow. do. And it's really like one of a kind world-class experiences. Oh yeah. We'll have, of course we'll have the Michelin star uh, chef in town come and cook for you <laughs> privately on Friday. He would love to do that for you. And when they make it happen. So I think those, those are extreme examples, but even more practical examples of that, of like, oh, your favorite drinks and beverages and things like that are waiting for you when you arrive at the property. Yeah. Or, um, hey, I know you're a fan of the uh, Patriots game is going to be here on Sunday. Sunday tickets on, it's on channel 714. Make sure you have that, you know, hooked up and ready to go. It's already, well, now it's YouTube TV. So that's a bad example. But <laughs> anyways, that type of thing of like, knowing the guests and actually being able to give them what they're asking for. That's what a five-star hotel does well, right? If you stay yeah. at a high-end, you know, resort, they know your name and they, you know, figure out what you like and your preferences and they they do it without asking, right? And I think that level of service is pretty rare in our industry. Mm. A lot of people claim to do it and you can find small examples, but a lot of what they want to do is they want to make it as low lift as possible for them and as high margin for them as possible, right? Oh yeah, yeah, let me sell these tickets through my portal and I'll get a little cut and stuff like that. And that's fine. Like I'm not against revenue or revenue generation, but um, I, I think the company that actually do that well are actually building loyal fans and people that want to book you know with them and the whole conversation of like you know should they book direct or should they book through airbnb just becomes such a moot point when you yeah. take care of someone at that level the hmm. client that i'm referring to that takes care of people at that level you don't even think about airbnb at that point they're not even a, it's not even a factor in your mind you're just like you it, it's not even that you got to talk with the name of the company it's like you got to talk to stephanie stephanie took care of yeah. us in the most unbelievable way you know that i couldn't even fathom before we stayed and now i would if i'm ever going back to this market i'm never not going to stay with stephanie even if it means I have to change my dates around because that yeah. property is booked for that week, I'll I'll work my schedule around them because they do such a unique job. So that's an extreme example, but I think very few people ever reach you know B plus categories of concierge, true concierge. But I think it's a way to actually build a really great business if you embrace that. And you know, a great case study to, is just look, looking at like hotels, right? You look at a hotel brand, and like I think about you know Four Seasons or or, or you know the Ritz, and how like my wife and I, uh, not that we've stayed at, at either of them many times, but we've stayed at both a couple of times, and there have been times when we were traveling to a particular market, we we were literally going to go there because of the hotel. I should say we were going there for something else, but like 
we we knew that we were going to stay in one of the, the of those two hotels and we actually moved our dates so that we could book this particular like room in one of these hotels and that was then that was because we had a, a incredible first experience with with four seasons they just like went totally over and above for us in every possible way and like we walked away from that experience being like okay we'd rather like save up and like not travel as frequently so that when we do travel we could stay at this at four seasons just because of how remarkable the the experience was so there i think there are countless examples of of hotels who figured out how to do this like really really well but to your point conrad I think there's massive opportunity to figure out, okay, what does a replication of that look like in your particular context, in your particular market? I was actually at a, a, an Airbnb short-term rental a, a couple months ago, and one I've never had a guest, uh, excuse me, a host ask me this before, but this host asked, hey, what show are you into right now? Uh, and I was like, oh, I'm into, you know, whatever. I don't even remember what I said at the time. Maybe it was um, the morning show on Apple TV. My wife and I really like that. And when I when we got to the the short term rental, we like walked in, we checked in. I turned on the TV, and it was like there, ready for us to play. Like they had like pulled it up already for it was just, and it was such a small, seemingly small thing. But I was like, oh my gosh! And it, immediately I was like, I, I messaged the host immediately, like this is amazing. Like thank you so much. This is ridiculous, right? And that host within seconds is getting a five-star review. Even if something else goes wrong, right, during that right. stay or like, you know, the the kitchen was whatever, or, you know, we had an issue with a, a bathroom, whatever, none of that matters. And, and like none of that would, would affect the, the rating that I would give the host because of the fact that they had the show that I told her I was interested in already pulled up on the TV when we walked in. Anyways, small, silly example, but like those are the things that stand out. Yeah. Well, well, two things there. Number one, I have a client that I've worked with for a long time, and they unfortunately they're large, and they just can't do this for every guest. But once you know, two, three, two, three times a week, they're able to do a like birthday celebration or an anniversary celebration or a honeymoon celebration, and they decorate the property before the guest arrives. Mm. So you mentioned when you booked, hey, I'm coming for my wife's birthday or something like that. They would have a cake and they would have balloons and they would have everything sitting there waiting for you and your wife when you arrived at the property. Again, they can't do it every time, but they do that pretty frequently. Always get positive comments on. Social media about it. It's so funny too because it costs them like forty bucks. Yeah. The actual investment is relatively <laughs> low, but people will go crazy. One woman was like crying, like I don't get anything for my birthday. You did this for me. It's so nice. You know, I'm here with my daughter and you know my granddaughter, and she was like crying on the phone. You know, like leaving this voicemail for the you know for their after hours inbox because she just had to call them when she got there late to the property. So, to you know, I was giving extreme examples earlier. I think some of these things are a lot of you know practical examples too, and I find that like. It's not always like the, like you said, this massive gesture. It's just a small gesture of, of hospitality and caring for someone. Yeah. So that's one piece. The second piece, you said it a second ago. Um, I think you build a lot of goodwill with this, and I think that goodwill is you can cash it in, right? It's it's real. Yeah. It's not yeah. this like fake idea. So my belief is that when you book the property and walk in, as long as things met your expectations, there's kind of this like you know sliding scale, and you're pretty much right in the middle. You're like as yeah. long as you meet their expectations, you're going to be fine. You're hopefully going to get a good review and things like that. But every problem sort of brings you down the scale mm. everything every moment of hospitality or moment of exceeding their expectations brings you up the scale and yeah. things like this can bring you so far up the scale that it would take like c catastrophe right to like knock them back down to a low review so i do believe that don't don't expect like everything to go right and that's going to be your way to a five-star review um i think the classic like under promise over deliver approach with yeah. regards to like hospitality or property conditions photography 
rates, you know, amenities in the property, et cetera, um, can certainly build a lot of goodwill. And I think you're better off running the business, you know, at 85, 90% efficiency and just leaving a little bit on the table all the time so that you're not just squeezing every single possible penny out of every single guest. And then you get those inevitable, yeah, it wasn't really worth it. Yeah, it was okay. But there was, you know, a cracked tile in the shower and they just look for things, <laughs> right? When they feel like they got ripped off or they overpaid that I find some people that some clients we work with just don't take that approach. They try to figure out what's the way that I can, you know, maximize my guest expectations and guest happiness over the long term, which I think is what you need to do when you're at these larger stages for sure. I think that that scale like framework is is super, super helpful. Uh, that, that That's wonderful. I, I do want to talk a little bit about marketing to homeowners, right? As, as you think about sort of expanding your, we've been talking about a lot about like marketing as it relates to guests and, mm. and whatnot. But as you, as a vacation rental manager, if you're looking to grow your portfolio, grow your offerings, and you're not necessarily looking to just buy places that you then manage yourself, a big part of how you grow your business, right, is finding the right homeowners to bring into your fold. I'd be curious from your perspective, do you do you at BuildUp work, do you guys work with folks to help them acquire new inventory? I know that, you know, uh, that, that might be something that you guys do, but even if it's not, what are some things that like you would recommend folks think through what, what marketing strategies and tactics work as it pertains to homeowner acquisition? Yeah. Well, I think the Venturi guys are really the experts in that area. So I always push people in that direction. I've also had a long relationship, you know, with Brooke and with their group over there. So they're like the homeowner, you know, marketing experts. We we have worked in that capacity in the past, but nowadays I typically recommend people go that direction because I think it, you know, that's what they focus on. Just yeah. like we mostly focused on the guest pieces, but you know, we do run like the BPC campaigns for some folks who are doing that. We've seen the list, like for example, that Venturi would get you for homeowners. And then we've helped people like come up with different, you know, ideas for the creative to put together the post cards and things like that. And they're kind of going in more of that platform direction and less of that services direction. So yeah. I think there's more slack that we might be able to pick up in the future around services uh, to help, you know, that homeowner acquisition piece. But I actually do believe that good guest marketing is good homeowner marketing, right? Mm. So like what I find a lot of people want to do is, yeah, I'm not going to focus on guests. Like Airbnb takes care of that. I can get enough bookings through Airbnb and Verbo and those platforms. I'm just going to do homeowner marketing and I'm going to say that I'm this great property manager and surely I'm going to get inventory that way. And I've just found that's not very successful to be yeah. honest with you. So I think the real unlock, the real win in doing great guest marketing is that homeowners aren't stupid. Most homeowners are pretty affluent. In order for you to be able to afford a second home, you know, in your vacation market and spend, I mean, nowadays, I feel like the entry point is probably $500,000 to a million dollars for a nice property in most markets that we were working in. Um, you know, maybe five years, 10 years ago, it was a lot cheaper, but now that's kind of the entry point. For someone to have that kind of money, they probably have some knowledge of business or they have something that they were successful in, in order to have the ability just to go drop, you know, that amount of money on a second home yeah. and investment property. So they're not stupid. And, and most homeowners can go online and research and do, you know, some digging and figure out pretty quickly if you are who you say you yeah. are going to be, um, you know, or if you can deliver on your promises, right? So I think that the, the problem with a lot of home, homeowner marketing that I see is that it's not believable. You know, mm. you're saying that you're the best at revenue, you're the best at this, you're the best at that, but you have seven units and you're trying to market to this luxury homeowner and you have seven condos and it's just not believable. Yeah. So I, I think actually the key, to, this is the ironic part about it, is that the key to great homeowner marketing is actually doing pretty good guest marketing mm. and having this 
kind of moat of brand or this moat of you know high reviews or this moat of doing a great job with other homeowners um, that actually brings you more homeowners versus this idea that there's this single inflection point where they're going to decide to switch management companies from company ABC to company DE, you know, DEF or whatever, yeah. and that you're going to be there in that exact moment with a postcard or with you know PPC ad or something. Those are incremental that they can work. They can get some additional you know revenue in the door or some additional listings in the door, I should say, but it's not something that you can consistently rely on to go from 10 units to our earlier where we started the podcast up to you know 200 of the best so do you think uh, like one of the things that i see happening more and more right is folks have maybe started in in condos right and they they might be managing uh seven eight ten condos but they've grown their business right they've learned a thing or ten and and they do want to expand right they want their portfolio to look like other units type they want their portfolio to include other unit types what what do you think is the best way to position yourself as a company to attract those first few right luxury properties or unique stay properties or or whatever your goal is any specific ideas or 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 marketing tactics that you think would work really well when when that's your objective as a business I think if you've never done it before, you've got to do something that's really going to get their attention, you know, and I'm hesitant to give the classic recommendation of like, do it for free or do it very cheap, because I think that puts you in a little bit of a, you know, rough position from like a, you know, when you actually want to go then charge commission down the road. So, you know, I I find it's really challenging, but there's got to be some hook that you can offer. There's got to be, we're going to offer you um, this specific guarantee. And if we don't meet this guarantee, we'll give you all the money. I know that's a popular offer um, from some of the larger brands. They guarantee revenue where they give a specific amount that they promise is going to be generated that might be a little bit risky now, you know, catching a falling knife, so to speak today, because it feels like some markets are certainly on the downtrend a little bit from an interest standpoint, which means the guaranteeing revenue based on 2023 numbers might not be a good idea if 2024 ends up a little bit softer. But there's got to be some kind of hook. What I don't think you can do is go in with the same pitch as everybody else. I don't think you can say, hey, we're going to manage your home and do a great job. Um, But then again, to my earlier point about believability, they're just not going to believe that claim when they say, yeah, but like this company over here has 50 homes just like mine. You have none. So like there has to be some viable hook that you do there. Maybe it's a commission conversation. Maybe it's a communication conversation. Maybe it's a guarantee conversation. Maybe it's, um, you know, just talking with the homeowner and seeing what they really value and care about. You know, that's one thing that, um, you know, I think can be underrated is that obviously most homeowners are revenue driven. They're, they're doing this as a way to make money and they're, they benefit from that money in their lifestyle, right? Most people who have just a second home or a vacation rental that they're using, they're taking that money and paying the mortgage and then any leftover money, they're using that to fund their lifestyle. So if you take away some of that, you're taking away part of their lifestyle. Most people aren't, you know, very in tune with that idea. So you've got to deliver on revenue. But there's often something that might trigger them that's like, well, the reason that I don't want to go with this large company is that, you know, they have these problems with them. Yeah, I'm one of 50 homes over here. So I'm number 51 on their priority list. When a problem occurs, they're really slow to respond. They do respond, you know, but it takes them two days to get back to me. It took them five days to fix my broken fence last year and that bothered me. And then you can then insert yourself into that conversation, of course, from a sales perspective. And you can have that say, oh, well, that won't be a problem with me. I only have nine units. So you're going to take a lot of my attention. And to be honest with you, Mr. Jones, I want to manage your unit and I want to manage a lot more like yours down the road. So I want to make this the best case study that I can possibly make so that I can pitch the second homeowner, refer to your property's performance as a way that I can, you know, win over that next homeowner. So I'm going to go above and beyond. You have my word. I guarantee XYZ response time or I guarantee XYZ outcome because of the dedication or commitment that I'm willing to make from this. So that can be it. And then to be fair, if you're on the flip side, what of course that person is going to do and go, you really don't want to go with Zach's property management company. He doesn't have any units like yours. He's not going to do a great job. And he just doesn't have the same resources. So really, if you want to go with the proven solution, you should go 
go our way. So, you know, you could sell it either way, depending on your approach. And the, the truth of the matter is it's probably a matter of having 20 of those conversations with those types of homeowners. Yeah. And you're going to just have to win them in what I call hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> you know, you just got to win them one by one by one. And then once you have a little collection, you're going to start to have that magnetic pull that people are going to be like, oh, Zach has 20 of these awesome properties. Then being the 21st feels a lot safer than being the first one or the second one, which is what a lot of people are trying to do. Like, yeah, no, I I think that was uh, those are really, really, really great examples. I also think this is a little bit far fetched and not that, you know, we need more podcasts or, you know, creators or influencers kind of talking about co-hosting and uh, vacation rental managing. You know, there's plenty out there. I still think that there's, you know, room. And if you feel so called, like, absolutely go go start a podcast or something. But I bring this up because I was talking to a couple of friends recently and they have podcasts in this space. And it's funny, like their, their, you know, inbound is just remarkable. They only manage mm-hmm. currently like a few properties and, you know, several of them are apartments or condos or whatnot, but they're getting incredible inbound from folks who have luxury, you know, five-star accommodations because these individuals have listened to their podcast for six to 12 months They've built a lot of trust with them. They've seen who they've talked to. So even though they don't have the actual experience of like managing themselves a luxury property, they've talked to so many people who, you know, that's that that's their business, right? And so it's just funny. Like you can get, I think you can get really creative with how you market, how you position yourself. And if you're starting right now with literally nothing, maybe find some, you know, content niche to to drill down in, whether whether it's a podcast, whether it's a YouTube series whether it's just Instagram. Um, and you might be surprised, right? As as your audience grows, as your network grows, you might be receiving uh, more inbound than you can even deal with around folks wanting you, uh, specifically you, to, to manage their property. So it's, it's funny how, you know, we're, we're living in this era where things like that actually happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to butcher the account name, so I don't want to say the name and then be wrong, but maybe we can dig this out and put it in the show notes. Do you follow that guy that does like the fake product um, examples in iOS? So it'll no. be like, It'll be like, um, he'll do a screenshot and then he'll design it, a fake feature. It's not real, but it'll be like, um, know where someone is when they reply to your text message. And it'll say like, Zach is on the toilet right now as you're replying to your text message. <laughs> so it's like these funny little um, things that he does inside of iOS and they always make, you know, you laugh and, but he mocks it up and makes it look like it's a real feature inside uh. of Apple using like the correct fonts and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know his name. So I feel bad that I don't know his name right now, but I, I either follow him or he shows up in my feed frequently enough that I see it. And someone did a case study on him and what he, he was like, basically I was this portfolio UX graphic designer. I was putting out this work and like, no one was caring, you know, like I, I would show an example of what I did and no one mattered. So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to be this, I'm going to claim that I'm this great designer. I just started showing work. And at first it just was fun because it got more attention when I did some, a a feature that was kind of funny, but I started just showing work and then I got real interest. I got people actually reaching out who were like, oh, like I have this app. You seem like you are an app designer that knows what they're doing. Um, Can you help me design my like actual legitimate, (laughs) you know, cooking app or something like that? And he's like, yeah, like, of course I will. And I think he ended up turning it into like a really successful career of doing product design, which is what he was trying to do anyways. But what I'm getting at is that he showed his work. So I think that, you know, go back to your point of creating content or doing that. Obviously, I'm an advocate of that and something that we do, and it's helped us get more lead flow on our side of things. So that's benefited us. But back to the local vacation rental manager, we have very few clients we work with that do anything around solid content production about their market. You know, we have to help them come up with like blog posts and ideas, and we produce everything. We do all the, all the, um, you know, image uh, generation. We do the formatting. We take it all on. But I'm with you. If you were that young, hungry person that has five condos, but wants to have 50 luxury homes under management, I think, you know, what's going on, Ocean City podcast? 
podcast, right? Could yeah. be a pretty viable way to get in front of people because you can then kind of hyper-target some of your messaging and promotion to that. Um, or having a newsletter about here's what's happening in the market. Here's what's going on in the, you know, in there's a new grocery store being built. This beach is closed. This beach is now open. All this is work, but I think yeah. that's what you need to do when you don't have like the marketing dollars and the brand behind you. You've got to put in some kind of that extra effort, extra labor um, around whether it's content creation or whether it's some other form of advertising or media. I think that can be pretty successful. Yeah. And again, to your point, it's someone getting his own to trust you. And then you have the ask versus yeah. what a lot of people do, which is like ask and then trust me after, yep. which just very rarely actually works in the way that people expect it to. Um, so yeah, I think what you're describing make, makes a lot of sense and showing your work, so to speak, if you can do that to the best of your ability in the vacational space and show real examples and, you know, talk about it publicly and, you know, write about it or write to do a podcast or have a blog or have a, even a Facebook group and bring people into that group. I think there's a million ways that you can use media to get that message out there but i think that you bring up good points there about yeah. using those different ways to get someone into your little orbit get them to trust you and then you just gotta win a few over and then the next few are gonna be so much easier believe, yeah. believe me my first five clients that we got that were of a certain retainer level were freaking hard you know to get and now it's like i don't want to say easy but it's a lot more straightforward yeah. you know they come to us versus us having to chase them which is very much what i was doing early in my career for sure yeah i also think that there's just massive opportunity when it, when it comes to content at the regional level, right? Like think about like if you were to start a podcast, you, a lot of the shows out there, right? Like they're, they they have to be super broad because they're, they're trying to just, you know, increase their their downloads and their, their listenership. And the easiest way to do that is, is to go wide, right? What, rather than to go super, super deep. But if you're in a market and your goal is really to just use this as a, a new client acquisition channel, Get really freaking regional specific. Who cares if you like the number of downloads? You could have 50 people listening to your show every week, but if those 50 people, right, are like the perfect prospective clients for you, right? Like that's that is a win, right? And I, I think about like regulation even, right? And so much of, of folks who are talking about regulation now are talking about it at like a national level. Obviously, some of the like the hotter markets people are talking about it, but like what does it mean in your specific market right now? Like what 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 is happening? right now with respect to str regulation where you live right and, and i think that if you if you become the resource where people in that community trust to like bring breaking news uh, you know on all things you know vacation rentals in your sub market that that that's an authority that that people a certain uh, audience will will absolutely find a lot of value in um and, and you know all of a sudden your lead flow will be will be will be fu almost fully uh in all likelihood inbound which again that then you can choose who you want to work with uh versus mm -hmm. versus the other way around um anyways i think we've talked uh, enough about this but I, I wanted to close out with a couple of final questions conrad one, one is just around when you think about the when you think about building a vacation rental management brand right i think that there's this hot sexy topic that folks are discussing out there around building a consumer facing brand and i think like if you're going to have a really solid direct booking strategy there needs to be some semblance at least over time of a consumer facing brand right and what i mean by that specifically is like guests have to recognize your brand as a brand right and not just your home as a place to stay that they booked on airbnb when you when you think about this are are there examples that you think exist outside of like we've talked about this a little bit before, but outside of like the Saunders or the Vacasas, like are, are there other examples of folks that have built really good, recognizable vacation rental management brands from a from a consumer standpoint that folks who desire to do something like this could could look to for for inspiration? And if so, who who are those individuals? Yeah, I think that 
uh, regionally, I think it's very feasible, right? Because most most vacation rental markets that we're working within, they have this kind of defined region that they're trying to do awareness marketing inside of. So the person in San Diego is never going to know about, you know, locally here, there's one of the larger companies in the Myrtle Beach market is called Condo World, right? And they're a large property manager here in my market, not a client that I work with, by the way, we work with a different client in this market. Um, but if you're based in Charlotte, North Carolina, you probably know who that is, because a lot of people from Charlotte come down and stay in the Myrtle Beach area. And they know the two or three companies, maybe that they've seen, you know, their trucks wrapped, or yeah. they've seen a billboards, even like offline advertising, out of home advertising, they probably have seen online advertising, you know, a Facebook ad, or they've seen maybe they're on the email list, et cetera. So I do think it's incredibly feasible. And I mean, common, we do it every day to build this regional awareness, right? People within a certain driving radius or your top five markets. You know, we have a client that we work with in Blue Ridge that's public on our website. So I can say the name Blue Sky Cabin Rentals. And a lot of our people come up from the Destin like area and they drive up from Florida up to North Georgia and they vacation there. I know when I go into Google Analytics and I see how many people each month search for Blue Sky Cabin Rentals inside of, uh, excuse me, Search Console, um, I can see that where they're coming from when I yeah. look in analytics and I can see that many of them are coming from a certain area. So I do think it's very feasible to build this kind of regional brand awareness. Um, we mentioned Isaac previously, uh, I think on episode one, Live Oak Lake. He has this radius of people in Texas. Luckily, he's targeted this market that has tens of billions of people that live in these major Texas metros where he can do specific brand advertising in those markets and get phenomenal results because he's not trying to let someone necessarily in Seattle, Washington care about Live Oak Lake. He wants someone in Dallas or someone yeah. in Houston or something like that to care about Live Oak Lake, um, at least 1% of them, enough where he can fill up his, you know, his seven units, right? Yeah. So I think those are better examples of, you know, practical approaches that people can take, which is having a Facebook campaign targeted to a specific zip code or a city plus 10 mile radius or something like that. And then building, you know, that brand awareness in that mind, because that's who you're after, right? You don't need, you know, this isn't like Coca-Cola. We don't need 10,000, 10 million customers, excuse yeah. me, to be aware of our brand and care about it. We're not forward either where we're, you know, trying to do this general brand awareness. So that when you think about cars, you think about us, that's not really the goal. So, and there's a lot of people who question given that Vacasa isn't doing that well, you know, they're financially, their stock price is certainly in the toilet. There's a lot of people who question if it's even possible. And yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I think if we had the right entrepreneur and the right leader, I think it is very possible to build, you know, the, one of these national, you know, vacational management companies. I, I assume it would be more like the franchise model, a la McDonald's versus, you know, something that was a bit different from that. Uh, I think it is, it is possible. It seems like no one has cracked the code yet, Yeah. but ultimately the brand is what you make it. And I think that the best, you know, marketers that I work with or the best clients that we work with to get the best outcomes, uh, don't try to do that. They don't try to make this massive brand awareness. They try to focus on, Hey, Destin, Florida, people coming from there, come up to Blue Ridge. Let's spend our effort and our energy on that, not trying to, you know, do a million things, which can be a little bit more challenging yeah. and costly as well. Hard to get the right outcome. Well, and also if you nail a regional market and if you do desire to expand, it's significantly easier to do so once you've learned the ropes, right? And once you have that, that you know, deep buy-in in your local community, you, you become dangerous uh, in, in other spaces because you've, you've kind of figured out the formula, right? And I think that the, the challenge is so many of us, I, this could just be like human nature, or, you know, entre the entrepreneur's like dilemma, right? Or, or, or pitfall is that you, many of us anyways, like want to expand very, very quickly. And we want to be all things to all people. We want to, we want people, you know, coming across the country to stay in our particular place. Um, and, and I think that there, there's just something that's like flawed, right? Uh, at least, at least at the start with that thinking. Um, so I really, really appreciate that, that insight, Conrad. The last question for you here is this is, this is the past three episodes have really just been like a teaser for, for this, this book that you have spent so much time putting together. 
Any any last words of encouragement or reasons why folks should go and, and download uh, this this new book that you've put together and or purchase a, a, a hard copy of it if they so desire? What um what are you hoping that folks get from the book and what are one or two reasons why you think folks should, as soon as this conversation is done, go and, and access this great content that you've put together? Yeah, I had someone ask me a similar question the other day. And what I was what I tried to distill down is this idea that I hope it saves you a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I hope it lets you stop focusing on the things that aren't really working and instead move quicker towards the things that actually are working. So, you know, the fact that I spent a lot of time on it or that we've had a lot of success with our clients, uh, hopefully those are decent reasons. But I look I don't think that's the main reason because that's not about you, the reader or the listener, right? Who's actually engaging with it. I think it's because the the main benefit that you're gonna get out of it by consuming it is you're gonna you know, have a straighter path to where I think you're trying to go. And you're going to spend a little bit less time zigging and zagging and trying some wrong things or getting distracted by certain things that aren't working or typically don't work well. And you're going to have a much clearer you know, path to getting the right outcome. So I think that's the best pitch that I can do. Uh, it's going to cost you maybe a, a few hours of your time, maybe to actually read through uh, the whole thing, even reading through your section that you might be in at this moment might only take you an hour. But I think if you go through it and you sharpen your focus and work on those things that you really need to be focused on at this moment in time, um, it's going to save you a lot of pain and misery and you know waste the time, which is ultimately when you're small and when you're trying to grow, that's the challenge, right? You have so many things you want to do and you have limited time and you have limited bandwidth. So if you can have it be hyper-focused, you're going to get a much better outcome. So that's the best pitch I can do, I think. Yeah. I, th- I think that that's a solid pitch, my friend. Um, and for those for those tuning in, we will have links to the hard copy book, uh, which you can you can purchase via, I should say physical copy book, which you can purchase uh, via Amazon. And they should, by the way. Because yeah, we talked about this, yes. I think, on the first episode. Right? Yes. You get different, your brain is actually activated differently when you're holding it actual physical copy of the book so very bullish on physical copies for sure as am i as am i i will be reading the physical copy so if you want to join me uh, maybe we can do a little book club or something like that but uh but yeah you can access the physical copy via the link below if you want a uh the the ebook copy conrad has graciously agreed to give that away to behind the stage listeners for free so we'll have a link to that as well below if you are really motivated and inspired by this conversation and want to pick conrad's brain even further we'll have links to build up bookings website i'll have his social uh, links in the show notes below too so you can connect with him learn a little bit more about his business and discern whether or not his offerings might be a good fit for you and your business but conrad thank you so much for your time man it's been a it's been a real pleasure sitting down with you over the last few episodes to pick your brain see how you see the world i really am just thankful for your time i appreciate you zach thank you have a great time Thanks for joining us for this episode of Behind the Stays. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, or find me on X, formerly Twitter, at ZBoozy, that's Z-B-O-O-Z-E-E, or on LinkedIn at Zach Cruz. If this is your first time tuning in, it's a pleasure to have you, and we hope to have you back again soon. If you've been a listener for a while, though, I'd greatly appreciate if you could subscribe and then leave us a rating and review of the show wherever you are currently streaming this podcast. Last but certainly not least, Spontaneous and Behind the Stays are totally bootstrapped, and my ability to bring you these stories is only possible because of our incredible advertising partners. 
We're very much a startup show. And while our growth rate is amazing, thanks to all you who keep tuning in and sharing our show with your friends and family, we haven't quote unquote made it yet. So if you could do me a huge favor and go and check out the sponsor for today's episode in the show notes below, I would greatly appreciate it. Even if their offering doesn't make sense for you right now, sending them a quick message on social or an email, just saying that you're listening to the show and you appreciate their support would be incredibly amazing. All right, friends, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Stays.